From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Michael Griffin. Today, I'm talking with Isa Aset Bay, a local lactician, entrepreneur, and artist. You know, some people want some very tiny ones that are like the size of spaghetti noodles. We call those micro locks. Some people want them as large as your wrist. So there's a lot of different categories of locks according to the shape, the size, the outcome that's desired, the reason why the locks are being worn. Some people wear their locks for spiritual reasons. Some people wear them for fashion. Some people wear them just to be rebellious and go against the grain of society. In our discussion, we delve into the science behind hair health, the cultural significance and history of locks and other traditionally black hairstyles, and Isis' business, Lock Legacies. Stay tuned for our conversation after this break. Tom Noblock here. I've been exploring culture of all kinds for the past few years, and I keep coming back to the same conclusion. Everything we do is filtered through entertainment. If it's not entertaining, nobody's paying attention. So to understand the world, you have to not only look at your screen, but comprehend what's on it. This is the focus of my new show, The Entertainment. Each week I'll be exploring an element of our culture through film, television, music, art, and more. Listen this fall on Omaha Public Radio or on your favorite podcast app. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Michael Griffin. Omaha native Aisa Aset Bay is a lactician, artist, and entrepreneur specializing in lock cultivation. Her business, Lock Legacies, offers services related to black hair care as well as education and training for aspiring locticians. Here is my conversation with Aisa Aset Bay. So, where are you from? I am originally from Omaha, Nebraska. We call it Omaha. What part? South Omaha. Like okay. Real close to Bellevue. Like you could walk two blocks and be in Bellevue, Nebraska. And you know the mandatory question. What high school, you know? Well, see, what happened was I was going to go to Bryan High School, which should be part of Bellevue Public Schools, but it is Omaha Public Schools. <laughs> but I ended up going to South High School. Okay. And so when you were going up in high school through there in South Omaha, what were some of your biggest uh, artistic inspirations? I really loved getting into the commercial arts. There was a course for commercial arts in freshman year of high school, and I just lived for that class. I really did. I loved the aspects of, um, you know, exploring logo design. Uh, Color theory was included in there. Mm. So that was right up my alley. And um, then exploring other aspects um, as far as commercial arts goes, like uh, the psychology behind consumer, um, mm. uh, consumer psychology behind marketing when it comes mm. to the visual aspects of it. So yeah, that was like barking right up my tree. I just loved that. In so high much. school, just in high school, just okay. in high school. But I was I was intrigued and really into all things arts throughout my childhood throughout high school, and then life happened and had some different twists uh, pretty immediately in high school. So, um, yeah, education went a different direction from there. Absolutely, and and education has many different forms. It does, thankfully. Absolutely. And so when you saw kind of this exposure with commercial arts, 
was hair a big part of your life? Uh, interpersonally, as an idea for something you wanted to establish a business in later? No, it actually wasn't. Plan A for me was medical school. <laughs> but because of how life happened, uh, <clears throat> the way it was unfolding during that time, I didn't go that direction. Doing hair was like really nowhere in my scope. So while I had to like really pivot, I like had to go through some massive shifting during that time while I was a teenager. Um, my childhood best friend was kind of in the same situation as me. And, you know, one day we were together, she was like, you know what, we should go to hair school. I'm like, yeah, we ain't doing nothing but being housewives at the age of 16, so why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we gotta do something, we're bored sitting here, you know, being housewives already. So, you know, we jumped into cosmetology school. And, and like I said, my plan A was medical school. So besides art, I have this crazy passion about sciences, anatomy, mm. biology, physiology, chemistry. And uh, those passions followed me into cosmetology school. So with that comes a lot of curiosity, nosiness. I wanna know how things work. So while I was in cosmetology school, I started getting really curious about the chemical components of just the basic hair products, like uh, the shampoos, conditioners, you know, some of the simple styling products. They have words on there we couldn't pronounce. And I was just, you know, sparked up one day because we had a couple of people this particular week come in with allergic reactions and they wanted to know what we were using and it seemed like nobody could answer those questions so I started getting nosy and I, I asked the director since none of the instructors had answers for me I went to the director I said what is sodium lauryl sulfate you know what do we need that for do we have anything else that we can use that that would you know suds up and get hair clean because it's a it's a detergent right and uh, she didn't know, which really frazzled me. <laughs> that frustrated me massively. I'm like, how, how are you the director of a cosmetology school and you can't answer this question? So I took things into my own hands and started digging into libraries like at Creighton. And, and just to ask really quickly, yeah. this was pre-internet? <laughs> this was way okay. pre internet. All right, all right, just checking, just checking. All right, okay, all right. Okay. Did not have internet access back then. I'm showing my age right about now. I'm okay with that. But yeah, we You'll blend no... in with our listeners, no worries. Okay, great. That's perfect. So, um, yeah, no internet access. So I'm in the, in the tangible books looking these product ingredients up and I went down this deep dark rabbit hole and I mean dark because the deeper I went down this rabbit hole the um, the more discouraged I got the more pissed off I got the more dismayed I got about my industry because I quickly discovered how um, how should I say what you know, toxic wasn't really in a large lexicon among our society <laughs> back then. It was poisonous. Yeah. Our, you know, the beauty industry is very, very poisonous. In a literal sense, not literally. just culturally, but the actual Ag components of what we're putting in our scalps. Exactly. Because, you know, skin's the largest organ on your body, and it huh. absorbs everything faster than your small intestine, and then it has to find somewhere to land in your system. It's usually going to be your endocrine system. Huh. So, you know, while I was digging into that and discovering these things, or uncovering these things, I should say, um, 
I uh, just about dropped out of cosmetology school and was just washed by hands of the whole thing. I told one of my uh, mentors from church at the time, I said, I can't do this. This is not what I was sent for. I'm a healer. I know that Mm. through and through. I've known that since I was a little girl. Couldn't really articulate it very well when I was a little girl, but I knew what was what um, just by intuition. When I told her that I was just going to go ahead and drop out and call it quits because there's no way I could participate in this. And um, on, a, on a whole different note, you know, when it comes to the cultural and racial aspect of it, I very of much... Of cosmetology Of school? cosmetology industry. Industry. The beauty industry. Mm. Um, I saw that there were... And, and this was just my observation, and then I saw more data to back it up later. I, I don't have any references to point right. anyone to right now, but um, I saw, by and large, more and more toxic ingredients being more heavily included in black hair care products mm, mm-hmm. than anybody else's. Mm. So the ones that are heavily marketed to black people right. had way more triethanolamine in it. Mm. You know, had way more propylparaben, methylparaben, stuff like that. Those things are highly toxic. I don't, I've never read those words, but they sound very ominous. Yeah. Okay. So your connection to science led to your connection to cosmetology and your interest? Yes. Yes, it did. I think that's really beautiful because at least for me personally, you know, I'm really into sciences and I'm really into culture, Mm -hmm. black culture specifically. And it seemed like it's had to be mutually exclusive. And it sounds like, you know, what you do with hair, synthesizing culture and science really is an intersection that's often lost. Mm -hmm. And so what exactly are dreadlocks? How would you describe them to folks that might not be aware? I I would describe dreadlocks as being hair that is just not touched and not manipulated by anyone. You know, if we're talking about the most raw, natural form of locked hair. Um, But when it comes to actually intentionally cultivating the hair to take the shape and form of dreadlocks, but in a more controlled manner, there's the whole aspect of, um, you know, people wanting to differentiate and define what locked hair and what locked hair, excuse me, what locked hair is and what locked hair is not, Mm. you know, but at the very core of it, it is simply hair that has not been combed, brushed, Mm. detangled anymore, and it's left to continue to tangle, shape, and form itself into cords. When it comes to the controlled dynamic of it, where we actually cultivate the locks, meaning we go in and we get them maintained, we get them twisted. There's the continual shaping and forming of them every few weeks to ensure that they're going to bind themselves into a cylinder formation instead of just oddly and irregularly shaped. Otherwise, they will. If you just leave them alone, they'll take on their own shape and form. Mm. And those are more so what we call free form or semi-free form locks. Mm. And so when it's done regularly, I guess, 
you're intentionally making each strand kind of around the same size or standardizing it or how does it actually the creating dreadlocks work if someone were to get retwisted per se that is very subjective to what the person on the receiving end wants to have as an outcome for their locked hair you know some people want some very tiny ones that are like the size of spaghetti noodles we call those micro locks some people want them as large as your wrist and we would call those uh, there's a young lady in florida that has uh coined the term wicks. I forget her name. I wish I could remember her name. But uh, since back in the day, we've been calling them bongos or congos. Um, they're, uh, they mimic naturally free-formed big locks. They're like, they have a huge diameter on them, cons- you know, compared to a lot of the pencil size locks or the Sharpie marker size mm. locks. You know, so that's a, a whole nother kind of um, category of locks. So there's a lot of different categories of locks according to the shape, the size, the outcome that's desired, the reason why the locks are being worn. Some people wear their locks for spiritual reasons. Some people wear them for fashion. Some people wear them just to be rebellious and go against the grain of society. Mm. You know, And there's a lot of other reasons in between those. If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with Isa Asetbe about the science of hair health, the history and cultural significance of locks, and the steps to successful entrepreneurship in hairstyling and cosmetology. Join the conversation on social media. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook or Instagram. Or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089. So did you always plan on locking hair when you entered cosmetology school? No, not initially. You know, it was like I was saying a moment ago, I nearly dropped out. But thankfully, my mentor from church, she was like, don't you dare drop out. You only have two months left to complete your hours and test out for your license. Look into natural hair care. Now, you know, Omaha's slow. (laughs) We're slow on the uptake. (laughs) You know, I'd never heard of natural hair care. Nobody in cosmetology school ever spoke of natural hair care, anything having any semblance to natural hair care. So I was just like, what is that? Now this woman, she was like 20 plus years older than me. She's military, she's traveled the world, so she's had access to information I've never heard of. And again, we did not have internet access yeah. back Oof. then. So um, she introduced me to a couple of people down south who taught natural hair care. And um, you know, they became my mentors. So I traveled down to Georgia twice a year for seven years in a row for my education in natural hair care because we did not have those resources here. So I had to go somewhere now. It was very expensive, of course, but it was very well worth it. Um, was, There's no way I was going to have access to those resources here. So uh, very excited about that. And, um, you know, along the way during that journey, I also got to gain a couple of mentors who helped me learn how to do henna. Hmm. So that became an art that I really uh, gravitated toward and something that I always wanted to get into as well. Um, And what is henna? Could you break that down for us? Henna is the plant itself. It's Lawsonia inermis. That's what the plant is called in its Latin, you know, its Latin word, Lawsonia inermis. So it's this plant that grows in northern Africa and India and parts of Asia. And um, its proteins leave a deep reddish-brown stain on the skin when it is... You know, ground down to a powder and mixed with water and oils, tea sometime, and it is used to decorate the skin and it just leaves a stain there. And 
here in the West, a lot of people will mistakenly refer to that as henna tattoo, but that's like, mm. when respecting the cultural art form of the thing, I think that it's really important to honor what it is and call it what it is mm. and not try to rename it, mm. you know? Um, you know, so it's like, I compare it to trying to call a quilt a blanket. So mm. anybody who's in the art of quilting and it comes from that culture of quilters, you know, for a lot of quilters, that's a very sacred thing, um, unbeknownst to a lot of people. But if you tell a quilter, oh, I love the blanket you made, that's so offensive. Mm, absolutely. It really is important to not just use the good or focus on the outcome, but really think about the culture and what incubated it. Absolutely. Yeah. And when we really talk about culture, you know, it's tricky how to have culture be infused with a business, mm -hmm, absolutely. especially in 2023. Yes. And so what is Lock Legacies? Lock Legacies is a salon that I established just recently, formerly called Universal Dreads. Um, and I changed the name to Lock Legacies to honor, we want to honor the cultural sensitivity of groups who view the word dreads as being very negative because it, it does have a negative connotation from a very important piece of history. And what is that piece of history? That piece of history, I'll just throw it in a nutshell. Um, during the transatlantic slave trade um, and a lot of the deals that were happening, you know, while people were being transported to different islands all across the Americas, Central America, South America, and here. Um, while people were um, coming out of those slave ships, there were people there that were taking notes, you know. They were mm -hmm. writing in journals and describing what they were seeing, hearing, smelling, all of that. And so the resounding words that were written per what was spoken was that, oh my God, that's dreadful. That is mm. dreadful to see, smell, and experience mm. seeing these humans come out of these ships in the condition that they were in. Because we're not talking about a short trip across mm. the ocean. This is not Carnival Cruise Lines, you <laughs> yeah. know. This is, you know, a yeah. long time at sea with humans shackled to each other, laying down flat. And I mean, there are women giving birth mm -hmm. and not allowed to get up. You know, there's women menstruating. There are people um, not able to get up and relieve themselves. There are people dying, so there are corpses chained to live humans and stillbirths happening. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, excrement and waste floating around the floor of that ship and it's getting matted into people's hair that's not being groomed. Mm. And so over the course of a year at sea, mm. hair is still growing mm. and it's getting matted and getting caked up with all kinds of nasty. Mm. And so, of course, when they get the people out and are trying to prep everybody for auction block, mm. it's, um, yeah, 
mm. it was dreadful to them. So, mm. you know, knowing this piece of history, you know, those of us who know that piece of yeah. history were like, there's nothing dreadful about my locks. Now, I can see a multitude of uh, different narratives, a multitude of different perspectives when it comes to these things. So another piece of that history has to do with the Haitian Revolution. And this piece I learned from my huh. very first lock client, huh. who's from Jamaica. And his parents were Haitian. And he, you know, he said, yeah, our, our dreadlocks, they're important to us, you know, because, yeah, man, I'm a true dread, you know, which means you better fear me. Because, yeah, we're coming through the villages mm. and we're taking off mm. heads because, you know, you've come and killed our people. You've done treacherous things to our people. And now we have an uprising. So, yeah, man, I'm a true dread. You know, I, mm. could, I can never get the accent down right. But that is the expression that, you know, he told me of. And I'm just throwing this all into a nutshell. Mm, totally. But, but um, you know, there's a social political pride that also comes with the words dreadlocks. And not mm. everybody feels that. No, not everybody mm. resonates with that. Mm, kind of an idea of reclamation, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so moving forward a little farther in history to where we are today, uh, the reclamation looks more like dissociating from those things that negatively describe mm. our locked hair. Right. That has any negative connection to our hair at all, you know. So there's uh, an even greater pride in that and, and in me having continual conversations unfold. You know, I had to really give more heart and more thought to that. Um, and even though I really appreciate and, and held dearly to the narrative that my elder gave me, mm. You know, that first time that I was exposed to right. any history of, of Haitian and Jamaican culture when it comes to locked hair, you know, I had I had to look deeper into who I'm working with today mm -hmm. and um, give more honor to that as well while I still honor him. Right, right. Thank you for the the education as a black person with locks. I feel like... <laughs> I will say locks from now on. <laughs> all right. All right. And okay. you know, whether you do or don't, that is totally up to you. I, I'm one of those people where I'm like, I am not going to violate your personal autonomy. Mm. You know? Right. If you feel like you want to say dreadlocks, do that. If you say jata, rope hair, whatever you want to call it. Mm. If you want to say locks, love locks, whatever you want to call it. I think that everybody really should respect each other's personal autonomy, even even while we do know that there are pe bits and pieces of history that are very, very important to the unfolding of where we are today, we also should be mindful of honoring each other's personal autonomy within the vast expanse of history, not hmm. just one little piece of time. What are, what are the services that are offered at Lock Legacies? Well, currently the services that are offered revolve around everything locks. So we're talking about starting locks. Uh, there's several different ways to go about doing that. And then we do lock extensions. There's several different ways to do that as well. But all the lock extensions are created in-house and then installed for the person who wants them. Uh, we also have lock maintenance, and that's 
the maintenance schedule for anyone mm. is going to be very subjective to what kind of outcome they want. You know, some people mm. are every three months, some people are every three weeks, some people are once a year. So there's, you know, a wide variety of different things going on there. Um, we also do, uh, one of my team members does a lot of hair coloring and she is amazing with her. Her name is Tierra Wells. And then um, my daughter, Emma Morris, is also doing locks. So she does a lot of the retwists. She takes a lot of the overflow customers. And um, and jumping back to Tierra, we also offer um, eyebrow microblading, eyelash extensions, mm. um, multicultural hairstyling. So Tierra takes care of, like, everybody. She, like, she doesn't just take care of locks, but she's very genius with locks as she's genius with everything else that she does. I myself, I exclusively do locks. There's nothing else that exists as far as I'm concerned. It's all lockety lock, lock, locks. That's it. <laughs> and so how would someone in the community make an appointment just by Googling Lock Legacies? Yes, you can Google Lock Legacies. Google has not updated all of the like the location information mm. and such. So I will say right here that we are located down on 10th and Farnham um, near the Jean Leahy Mall, right across the street as a matter of fact. We are not on North 98th Street as Google would show you. But yeah, if you Google me, you can still access the website, make an appointment through there as well as purchase products, view the community calendar where you can select from any of the workshops that we may have going on or any of the other events that would be going on. And what type of workshops? Workshops that we offer are going to be um, how to maintain locks. We'll have family nights where people can come and bring their children with them or can bring, you know, a cousin or somebody, you know, if they want to learn how to cultivate and maintain each other's locks because life happens. You can't always get into a salon. And so we like people to understand how locks work, how to take care of them properly without having to go to YouTube University <laughs> and, uh, and try to figure it out by trial and error. And, you know, with trial and error, uh, with that topic, a lot of people try to learn henna by trial and error as well. Mm. So we're going to be teaching people how to mix their own henna paste, apply it, what it is, what it is not, the cultural history behind that, um, which, you know, began by and large in Africa, not mm. India. Mm. And, um, you know, just, you know, honoring all of the cultural histories over the vast expanse of time for locks and henna is like hugely important to me because a lot of people kind of, you know, get fixated on one aspect and can't see past that. Mm. So I like to show all of the different parts and pieces that have brought all of this together to this date. I'm talking with Aisa Asetbe about lock legacies, her business offering lock cultivation and educational services. Stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break. Hi, um, this is messages for Tom. He invited listeners' comments out after the program on Monday with West Dodge, and so I, I've got a couple comments that I'd like to uh, share with him. Um, First, I, I found the Riverside chat on Monday with Wes Dodge uh, really intelligent, informative, and unbiased. And um, the discussion of 
religion that's currently used in politics is a pretty thorny one, so I appreciated uh, his very unbiased opinion or views. Um, also, uh, I really like his research, the amount of research and preparation that he did, and uh, a lot of times I think people just shoot from the hip, and uh, I'd like to hear more from this guest. This is kind of a thorny issue, and I thank you for taking this on, actually, frankly, because a lot of people wouldn't. So, good job. Thank you. I will be sure and listen to you again on Riverside Chats. Thank you. Bye. you're enjoying the type of content you get here at Riverside Chats, conversations that go in-depth on art, politics, and everything in between, please consider becoming a supporter of the show. You can find a link in the show notes that allows you to give a recurring or single amount, whatever you're comfortable with, whatever you think the show is worth, which maybe is nothing. In which case, ouch, if you think this is a valuable part of your week, then we would appreciate the support so we can continue to give you the quality that you came here for in the first place. Thank you for considering supporting Riverside Chats and enjoy the show. Hey, Riverside Chats, this is Chris Bowling. I'm an investigative reporter for Flatwater Free Press here in Omaha. Before that, I was a reporter and editor at The Reader. And before that, I was in a band, I waited tables, and I found a lot to love in my adopted hometown here in Nebraska. I'm joining Riverside Chats as a contributing host, and I'm so excited to bring some of my favorite sources and stories to the show. I hope you find them as informative, entertaining, and motivating as I do. Talk to you soon. Welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Michael Griffin. You can subscribe and hear previous episodes of this show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite app is. Today, I'm talking to local optician and entrepreneur Isa Asetbe about the history of locks, opportunities for young entrepreneurs in Omaha, and her business, Lock Legacies. Here is the rest of our conversation. It seems like there's been an increase in natural hair and locks that I've seen. I personally was inspired when I saw Killmonger and Black Panther. (laughs) But from your perspective, uh, especially in Omaha and just working in this field over time, have you noticed an uptake in interest? To the culture, to the hair. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's definitely been an uptick. I got out ahead of it well over 20 years ago. Right. You know, but I was so, so happy that I did get out ahead of it so that I I could be ready and in place to be able to serve, you know, in the the capacity that people need a loctician to serve Mm. them in. And so with that new interest in mind... um, how can folks that are interested in locks make sure that they're being committed to the cultural part as well? Well, for the people who want to be committed to the cultural aspect of it, and I would hope that that's going to grow more and more, um, it's going to be important to learn the various histories and cultures where locks have permeated through you know, and that's going to begin with African cultures. That's going to begin with indigenous cultures here in the Americas. Mm. You know, um, 
and then you know looking beyond that um you know seeing what other cultures have had locks as a part of their not just their aesthetic but even their spiritual disciplines mm. you know so learning those things would be vastly important for people who actually do have an interest in learning the cultures about locks Right. And where do we find information on this? Well, now the Internet. The Internet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We internet. have Internet now. <laughs> yes, but, you know, we want to go make sure that we're doing cross-references to make sure that there's anthropological, um, you know, data to look back on, you know, to be able to match that mm. up. Um, you know, there are, are books where it is referenced. Uh, there's a particular author named Sheikh Anta Jap. Hmm. Um, he was a an anthropologist who's French speaking. I forget. I believe he's Senegalese, but I'm willing to be wrong. I can't remember which country he's from, but I think he was Senegalese. Um, but he has a nice collection of books of African history that you're not really going to find in American institutions. Mm. But there are a lot of lock references within his texts. Um, if you go into some uh, some older texts from India, you would find some references of locks there. If you go into the Bible, you will find <laughs> lock references there. It's always there. It's always there. It's always there. You know, we, we can talk about Samson, you know, and his, <laughs> yeah. se- his seven locks of hair. I would, I would venture to say Samson had wicks or bongos. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> you Definitely. know, but, you know, there's speculation over, you know, that right there. Okay. So we've really fleshed out a lot of the cultural context. Um, so let's talk business. Sure. So if someone is in our community and is interested in starting a and they're a loctician and they want to do locks or other types of hair. Um, could you shine light into the chronological order of tasks? So would it be figure out your mission, figure out your logo, figure out your clients, et cetera? Or could you walk us through what that looks like in that industry? Well, let's see. If we were to put a very specific timeline on that, it's going to depend largely on the person who wants to become a lockpreneur. Mm. So if this is an individual who wants to become a lockpreneur, then they should first and foremost make sure that they have a good financial education. Mm. Financial literacy is very, very important before you go into any kind of business. I don't care if you're just selling number two pencils somewhere. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you do not have financial literacy, it is not going to work out very well. Um, so gaining mentorship is going to be very important. Um, continuing to prioritize education Mm. is always going to be important. So that means go ahead, go to cosmetology school. Sure, we're not going to get a very strong background in African-American hair care in most cosmetology schools. However, there are more and more African-American cosmetology schools being created. And and just a very honorable mention, if I may, Brooke Boston has a cosmetology school here in Nebraska, and it is thriving and flourishing and, and producing very, very 
well-rounded cosmetologists. So to go and get your cosmetology license first or your barber license gives you a good solid foundation for understanding the textbook aspects of hair care, okay? Um, And that's going to be important for how you show up and serve customers along the way. Learning marketing, taking marketing courses, taking customer service courses, those are very important because there are more and more um, quote-unquote locticians and braiders popping up you know, mm. thinking that they can just jump into serving people and they don't have a strong background in customer service at all and mm. is, um, you know, kind of creating some problems in our <laughs> industry right now, to say the least, and that's uh, a topic for another day, I would suppose. But, um, you know, so moving on from there, learning how to write a business plan, that's going to be important. Making sure you have an accountant locked down that's going to be very important. Having an accountant is very important, especially one who will educate you and help you further understand the tax laws and all of that as it pertains to whatever it is you're trying to do within your business because every business is not on equal playing field on the tax brackets, mm. you know, when it comes to this industry. So, you know, you got to know if you're you're going to go into being a sole proprietor or are you going to establish an LLC? You know, are you going to be an S Corp or a C Corp? And if you don't understand what those things are, you might find yourself into some hot water. Mm. So you need to get with your certified public accountant or your CPA mm. to make sure you thoroughly understand those aspects of the background of a business. And um, and from there, you know, the logo creation, that's like, you know, it's just kind of like putting a cherry on top of everything. You know, the logo is the least of the of the concern until all of those other things are firmly established, you know. And I want to make sure I'm not skipping over anything either when it comes to this. If you're going to be selling retail, you want to make sure that you um, get registered with the... Um, Department of Revenue Mm. and get a tax ID number, not just your EIN. Your EIN would come with your LLC. But uh, you want to get your tax ID number so that you can go ahead and get a Form 13 with any company that you want to buy wholesale from so that you can retail appropriately. And then you want to have your software for tracking your inventory. You want to have your software for tracking your appointments and all of the metrics of your business. You know, there's a lot that goes into this, you know, you know, a lot of people do not um, implement those things. Right. It's one thing to give services, but to continue to be able to. Right. Over time. Indeed. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Having um, software in place, uh, like payment processing systems. I'm not talking about Cash App and Venmo. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we need to have PayPal. We need to have Stripe, you know, um, Square. Clover, things like that, actual software that is going to help you track your metrics and, you know, how much, uh, how many bottles of oil you're selling, you know, how many bottles of shampoo you're selling, how many services, like, okay, my metrics will track how many basic retwists I did versus 
um, how many haircuts I did. Mm, so you can see the demand. So I can see the demand, right. you know, and so whichever is having a higher demand, I'm going to push more mm. of that and not focus so much on the thing that's not producing as much revenue. Right. So you want to know where your bread and butter is really coming from so you can optimize and maximize that. Right. Right. That's a bar. Optimize and maximize. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So to kind of take us back to earlier in our conversation about hair health. Sure. And scalp health and our skin being the largest organ. Um, um, one thing that really resonated with me is how you said that black hair products have more toxicity and poison mm -hmm. than other ones. Yes. Have you seen a change of that over time at all? Now that we've seen more of an emphasis on, may I say, natural black hair, do you think that corporations are acknowledging that at all or are no. we still in the same boat? No, we're still <laughs> in the same boat. Um, corporations, um, many of them are umbrella corporations, so they may have 20 to 30 brands under one mm -hmm. corporation. Um, the bottom line for them is to continue to produce revenue. Right. And it does not matter that it is at the expense of anyone's health or lives. Um, you know, by and large, when you see any uh, advertisements or uh, any text on any labels that would make you believe that, you know, somebody is caring about our health, our wellness <laughs> now, that is yet another marketing strategy sure. to keep you coming and buying that product. You know, so let me just be more spe specific with that. On a label, you may see things that say sulfate free or mm -hmm. paraben free or SLS free, you know, stuff like that. Um, but if you go and read the ingredients label, there are new toxins that have been introduced. <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> you know, sure, wow. they took out the parabens. Yeah. Sure, there's no animal <laughs> cruelty. Oh, my gosh, it's vegan. This must be good for me. No. Right. No, those are all marketing strategies. Right. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Open up your wallet. Give me your money. And, you know. It kind of reminds me when I see deodorant that says, Aluminum free, right? Like, but there's other stuff in there that. And also, there is aluminum you. before. Yes, there <laughs> like, was aluminum. There are even hair yeah. products that have had aluminum in them. <laughs> oh my gosh! I walked out of a continuing education class one time because most of the continuing education classes are being used as platforms for marketing products mm. when it comes to the hair industry. So, like when we go in for continuing education hours, so that we can renew our cosmetology license and have the documentation. Mm. Hey, we went and took some classes. Classes. When we go to those classes, the presenters are marketing products. <laughs> so this particular year, I can't remember which year it was, but uh, this particular year, uh, it was a huge crowd of people. And, you know, they're passing around this product that was being used on the stage to demonstrate how to do this particular haircut and then style this haircut using this particular spray product. And uh, they went on to say, oh, hey, if you're having a real sweaty day, then you can use this one. I'm not going to say which product because I'm about to be sued for nobody's defamation. So this particular product, you spray it in and then you shake through your hair real good. And it just smells incredible. And it smelled great. I ain't going to lie. It smells <laughs> so honest, good. Yeah. So you shake it out and your hair's just instantly refreshed. 
they're passing it around the room. Everybody's spraying it. There's this this aerosol stuff that has particulates in it, like this physical mm. stuff. And so now we're all inhaling this stuff. Nobody's thinking about that part. And so the bottle gets around to me, and I read the bottle. I don't care. I'm not spraying this on my hair. I'm not spraying it on my neighbor. I'm looking at this product, mm. and I'm like, there's aluminum mm. in this product. Like, this is like spraying. Spraying antiperspirant in my hair that has aluminum loaded in. There was two different forms of aluminum in there. Mm. And it's not at the bottom of the list of ingredients, so it was not small trace amounts. There was a, a decent amount in there of aluminums. Mm. So I left, I left, and um, I, I left the room and uh, waited for everything to be over with uh, so that I could just get my certificate of completion and be on my way. Mm. Well, like I, I can't even show up in these classrooms to learn what I need to learn to continue to be educated without being poisoned because now the room is being fumigated with these toxic hair products. Mm. <laughs> like what the heck is, is going on here? Nobody's like looking at this stuff. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Isa Asepe about entrepreneurship and the culture of black hair. Join the conversation on social media. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook or Instagram. Or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. With so much of the conversation being about poisonous hair-related things, Mm -hmm. what are healthy alternatives? You know, I hear about the oils and... What are, what are alternatives that we can use? Well, healthy alternatives will come down to using food-based ingredients. So much of the hair care that I offer is very food-based and herbal. Uh, basic rule of thumb before any celebrity ever started saying it. I've been saying it for over 20 years. If it's not safe enough to eat it, please don't use it on your hair or skin. You know, But right. that doesn't mean that everything in the kitchen belongs in your hair. And it also doesn't mean that everything that we eat is safe either. Mm. But that's another story, another topic for another time. But um, right here, right now, while we're talking about what alternatives we have for hair care, Instead of using the toxic stuff, if we do things basically like if we want to add some moisture to our hair, then we could use things like aloe vera juice or aloe vera gel, whole leaf aloe vera juice, um, and just use that as a moisturizer, especially if you're just going to wash it out a few days later. Um, A lot of times I'll have people use aloe vera juice to help their extremely dry scalp if they have not been diagnosed with any scalp condition by their dermatologist. Um, you know, and then, you know, coming down to the usage of oils, because most of us as black folks do use oils in our hair, um, you know, we're, we want to look at things like avocado oil. Uh, we want to look at things like almond oil if you're not allergic to tree nuts. Um, coconut oil is good for some people, but it's not good for everybody. And quick question. Mm-hmm. Should we rub it in our scalp or our hair? Or Mostly in the hair. Now, if your scalp is producing its own oils nicely, then you don't always need to have oil on your scalp. If you're experiencing dry scalp, that means you're not drinking enough water. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but that's one of the most important aspects of self-care care is making sure you're hydrated. You know, it's wild how many things come back to drink more water. Drink, drink your water. Make sure the water is good quality, too, because now that's another topic. you got to make sure it's good quality water and that you're actually getting hydrated and you're not just mm. wa- mm-hmm. wasting hydration <laughs> later. And do you make your own hair care products? I do. I do. And what goes into them? And how do you figure out the ingredients? Well, I have figured out the ingredients over the course of time according to what people are least allergic or sensitive (laughs) to, you know, and what works the most for most hair types and hair textures and um, uh, the condition of most people's hair. So let's say your hair is absolutely virgin hair. It's never had any chemicals touch it, including chlorine. You're just like pure hair that's never been altered chemically. Um, And then you have someone who has hair that has had chemical exposure, like hair color. You know, so I want to have some ingredients together that are going to work well for both of those people. When you really think about hair and as dynamic as it is, uh, where do we see the future of locks in Omaha, both culturally but also lock legacies? Well, the future of locked hair in Omaha is looking absolutely wonderful. I I love it very, very much. More and more people are opting for locks, and um, I'm totally here for it. So uh, with the future being so great, I mean, really, we're already in the future, for goodness sakes. (laughs) We're already here. You know, so in the now and moving forward, the future of locks looking really great because more and more people are not just only accepting of it Mm. but are just like really falling in love with it for their own reasons and for collective reasons as well whether we're talking about culturally or socially or a blend of the both and even spiritually so that's all coming together very beautifully uh, and I appreciate being present for it because I get the opportunities right. to mentor other people just as I had mentorship mm. 20 years ago. And they don't have to travel. They don't have to travel. Well, some will opt for traveling because right. it's fun and they get exposure to other things that I might not be able to <laughs> right. offer. Right, right. And uh, what's the future of Lock Legacies? Future of Lock Legacies looks like a possibility of turning it into a franchise. Uh, Do you all currently have community collaborations that you work with often? Not often enough. Mm. Not often enough. So I I do look forward to that very much. Uh, There are some things that's in the works. I'm not going to make any mention of it just yet. But there are some things that are in the works that I'm very excited for. And, um, you know, it's going to involve a lot of... Um, being able to have access to educating people on a broader fl- platform mm. and um, being able to offer not just services, but um, offer community services as well. Right. You know, so I'm just, I'm just kind of tiptoeing around that and making sure that I'm not letting a cat out the bag too quickly here. But there's a lot that's going to be coming about with all of that soon. And where can folks follow you or search to hear those updates when they are out of it, when the cat is out of the bag? Well, when the cat's out of the bag, I will uh, make mention of it across Facebook, Instagram, um, and uh, email on my website. 
So, and of course, in person, in my chair, you know, there'll be conversations happening there, as you know. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate this. Absolutely. Don't touch my hair When it's the feelings I wear Don't touch my soul When it's the rhythm I Riverside Chats was created by Tom Noblock and is a production of 91.5 KILS Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowicz. Remember, you can find the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get podcasts. Thank you for listening. I'm Michael Griffin. And to end today's show, here is Solange's Don't Touch My Hair.